And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. And opening on the Supreme Court, President Biden zeroes in on his nominee. So far, anyway, Mr. Putin has not elected to to de-escalate. Will there be war in Europe? The American household is getting worried. And the economy boomed last year. But what about now? I'm Paul Brandis in Washington. You're listening to West Wing Reports. It's Friday, January 28th. Timing is everything. Remember when Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a Supreme Court justice? Some liberals wanted her to retire when Barack Obama was president so he could appoint another liberal to the court. Actually, Obama tried that after a conservative justice, Antonin Scalia, died in 2016. But Republicans controlled the Senate then, and Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, said you can't appoint a justice in a presidential election year. It should be up to the next president. You think elections don't matter? That next president was Donald Trump, and he appointed three conservative justices, including one, in an election year, Amy Comey Barrett. Her confirmation rammed through by McConnell just days before you guessed it, a presidential election. But this time, the election was won by a Democrat, Joe Biden, and this time the Senate is controlled by Democrats, but just barely. But it will probably be enough for Biden to put a liberal justice on the court to replace Stephen Breyer, the liberal justice who is retiring after 27 years on the bench. The president has wasted no time in confirming that he will make good on a big 2020 campaign pledge. Choosing someone to sit in the Supreme Court, I believe, is one of the most serious constitutional responsibility a president has. Our process is going to be rigorous. I will select a nominee worthy of Justice Breyer's legacy of excellence and decency. While I've been studying candidates' backgrounds and writings, I've made no decision except one. The person I will nominate will be someone with extraordinary qualifications character, experience, and integrity. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. It's long overdue in my view. I made that commitment during the campaign for president, and I will keep that commitment. That's a big deal in a lot of ways, not the least of which is that it will certainly boost his standing with two key parts of his base, women and blacks. The midterm elections are not looking good for Democrats, but this will certainly help. The president says he'll unveil his nominee by the end of February, a sign the White House is going to let this story play out for a while. For some additional perspective, here's Lawrence Hurley. He covers the Supreme Court for Thomson Reuters and appeared on C-SPAN. The, the president is, is a little um, sort of constrained in a way by his own uh, campaign promise to appoint a, a black woman to the court. So the number of uh, just the number of sort of eligible candidates is, is a little smaller as a result. Um, and uh, especially if he's looking for uh, people who are already serving on the um, federal courts and especially on the federal appeals courts, which is usually 
where presidents look. Um, so uh, that's one issue. And then the other issue is, of course, within the Democratic Party, there's, there's that split between the sort of moderates and the more uh, left uh, kind of uh, people. So, um, you know, there's going to be some tension there as to what different um, parts of the Democratic Party want. But um, as with other Biden uh, judicial nominations so far, the um, Senate part of the Democratic Party has sort of kept together uh, in pushing through his his judges, including some of the ones who might be in contention for this kind of promotion. So um, it may be that they can stay unified on this one. As for Breyer, you probably don't know too much about him. Justices on the court tend to keep a fairly low profile. So I want to play a clip of him from Thursday. What he said was so refreshing and optimistic, it sounds almost out of place given the problems we have in this country right now. And that made it all the more wonderful. The thing I enjoy is talking to high school students, grammar school students, college students. Even law school students, and and they'll come around and ask me what 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 is the what is it you find particularly meaningful about your job? What sort of gives you a thrill? And that's not such a tough question for me to answer. Uh, it's the same thing. Day one, almost up to day, I don't know how many. But but the the what what I say to them is, look, I sit there on the bench, and after we hear lots of cases. And after a while, the impression, it takes a while, I have to admit, but the impression you get is, you know, as you well know, this is a complicated country. There are more than 330 million people. And my mother used to say it's every race, it's every religion, and she would emphasize this, and it's every point of view possible. And uh, it's a kind of miracle when you sit there and see all those people in front of you, people that are so different in what they think, and yet they've decided to help solve their major differences under law. And when the students get too cynical, I say, go, go look at what happens in countries that don't do that. And that's there. I can't take this around in my job. But people have come to accept this Constitution, and they've come to accept the importance of a rule of law. Bryant reminded us that America, after all this time, nearly 250 years, was designed to be, as Abraham Lincoln called it, an experiment. That's what he thought. It's an experiment. And I found some letters that George Washington wrote where he said the same thing. It's an experiment. That experiment existed then because even the liberals in Europe, you know, they're looking over here and they say it's a great idea in principle, but it'll never work. Uh, but we'll show them it does. That's what Washington thought. And that's what Lincoln thought. And that's what people still think today. And I say, well, I want you, and I'm talking to the students now. I say, I want you to pick just this up. It's an experiment that's still going on. And I'll tell you something. You know who will see whether that experiment works? It's you, my friend. It's you, Mr. High School student. It's you, Mr. College student. It's you, Mr. Law School students. It's us, but it's you. It's that next generation and the one after that. My grandchildren and their children. They'll determine whether the experiment still works. And of course, I am an optimist and I'm pretty sure it will. Does it surprise you? that that's the thought that comes into my mind today. I don't know, but thank you. 
Wow, that was terrific. Justice Stephen Breyer announcing his retirement after 27 years at the end of this Supreme Court term. No, that's the blunt message from the Biden administration to Russia. No, over at Moscow's demands on Ukraine. The U.S. continues to think that the Russians could invade Ukraine at any time. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has this blunt advice for Americans in Ukraine. Our message now for any Americans in Ukraine is to strongly consider leaving. The fear is that Americans could be caught in harm's way. Russia invades civilians, including Americans still in Ukraine, could be caught in a conflict zone between combatant forces. The U.S. government may not be in a position to aid individuals in these circumstances. And while the diplomats continue to talk, the Pentagon is getting ready. Spokesman John Kirby ran down a list of units from around the country that are now on a heightened state of alert. Um, these units, uh, all told, include medical support, aviation support, logistics support, uh, and of course, combat formations. I want to just underscore one other note, and that is, as I said many times earlier this week, these forces are on a heightened preparedness to deploy. They have not been activated. To emphasize, have not been activated. We have, as we've continued to see, the uh, accumulation of combat power, and as we have now seen, uh, that so far anyway, Mr. Putin has not elected to, to de-escalate. Um, and, uh, you know, look, there's, there, there, we still believe there's time and space for diplomacy, but thus far it has not achieved the kind of results that the international community would like to see. Again, that's Pentagon spokesman John Kirby. Meanwhile, here's a question for you. With so much focus on Russia and Ukraine, what are other American adversaries doing? China, North Korea, Iran. We'll get the big picture from one global observer shortly. Economic news now. Get a load of this. The economy grew last year at its strongest pace since 1984 when Ronald Reagan was in the White House. It was even stronger in the fourth quarter as the year was coming to an end and leading the way was spending by both consumers and businesses. Well, that's great, but that's in the rearview mirror. The question is, what about the road ahead? Milton Ezradi is chief economist at Vested. He spoke with Yahoo Finance. We have tremendous momentum from the recovery, but that's going to, that is beginning. There are other things that are suggesting that it, it's beginning to lose momentum. And so now we have to count on people's fundamental long-term confidence. And the inflation is a big issue, not just the inflation, but what's going to be done about the inflation from most people's point of view. I think it's very interesting when you, you look at the data. It still looks pretty good. Not every not every uh, data point looks good, but it still looks like the economy is recovering. But all the surveys and the confidence numbers suggest that the American household is getting worried. The number one worry is inflation galloping ahead at a 7% annual rate. The Federal Reserve is set to begin raising interest rates in an effort to bring that inflation under control. But as I've said before, a lot of our inflation is linked to the pandemic and the supply chain. When those things are fixed, perhaps inflation will go away. But when that will happen, well, it's really anybody's guess. 
A ray of hope on Omicron. Hospitalizations are down. Not much, just 2% over the last two weeks. Nevertheless, they are down. But hospitalizations are soaring in four states, nearly doubling in Montana over the last two weeks. They're up 90% in Wyoming, 70% in Alaska, 60% in Alabama, again, just in the last two weeks. All told, 63% of all Americans who are eligible have been fully vaccinated for Americans over the age of 18. That figure is 74%. That data compiled by the Department of Health and Human Services. We often hear about the individuals who took the oath of office to become the chief executive. But what about the other people who play a role in each administration or the events that may not be as well known, but that contribute to the reshaping of the office of the American presidency? On the Presidencies of the United States, we explore each administration beyond just the person holding the highest elected office in order to better understand the history that brought us to the modern day presidency. I hope you'll join me on this journey through the annals of presidential history. Presidencies can be found anywhere fine podcasts can be found and is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Let's come back now to Russia and Ukraine. Everybody is focused on this hotspot, but my question is this. What are other American adversaries, China, North Korea, Iran, what are they up to while we're distracted? Let's get some answers from my old friend David Endelman, one of the most astute observers of global events. He's been a correspondent for The New York Times, CBS News, and is currently a columnist for CNN and NBC, also the author of several books. The latest is A Red Line in the Sand, Diplomacy, Strategy, and the History of Wars That Might Still Happen. David, welcome. You know, it seems to me that while we're distracted by Russia and Ukraine, it's a good time for China after the Olympics, at least, plus North Korea and Iran to cause some trouble. Well, there's no doubt about it. I think we've just taken the eye off the ball. I mean, the, the, the whole point is there are other issues. We have to be we have to learn to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. And apparently we're not able to look. Wendy Sherman, who was taking the lead on negotiations with Russia, over Ukraine and so on, uh, and her boss, obviously, uh, Blinken. But Wendy Sherman was the one who negotiated the original um, Iran nuclear agreement uh, some seven, eight years ago that Trump uh, promptly withdrew us from, uh, sending us down a um, really a rabbit hole uh, in, in that part of the world, which is just going to be, I think, ending catastrophe. They only have a few more weeks of until the deadline comes up on, on those talks might just break up entirely. The, the point is, we have to understand that the, these many of these crises are linked. Not too many people realize that um, Xi, uh, that uh, Xi Jinping is going to welcome Vladimir Putin uh, in about uh, 10 days to the opening of the Olympic Games in Beijing. The two of them are going to open the games together. They are great. They are great pals. They're great uh, comrades in arms, as, as it were. Why are we not understanding the linkage between all of these other issues and Putin and Russia and Ukraine and focusing only on that? Let's take these one at a time. And you mentioned the big one, obviously, China. You know, uh, I'm old enough to remember when uh, the Soviet Union and China were adversaries. But now, of course, 
Uh, they have a commonality in they both oppose the United States or both trying to weaken it. What are they together? What are they going to do? Well, I think you exactly hit the nail on the head. They're trying to weaken the United States. They're trying to put a dent in the Western alliance. They're trying to drive a wedge between the United States and many of its allies, particularly NATO allies in Europe. They understand that, uh, you know, weakness is, is division is weakness. And, and that's exactly what they are promoting. And there's no doubt about that. They get along famously now. Uh, you're right. I remember the times when I was going to Moscow. And in fact, uh, the, the, the big concern was that, um, you know, Chinese hordes would be pouring over the borders into, into Siberia. And, and, and the, the Russians used to keep vast numbers of troops there. Well, now they're so, they're so little concerned about the, a threat from China that Putin is, is prepared to pull vast quantities of armored uh, divisions and, and uh, troops out of uh, Siberia and send them into Belarus to wring uh, Ukraine ever tighter. It's a very disturbing problem that we really need to confront. We need to understand how these dictators, what the interplay of these dictators are, and, and how we should be able to, how we should play them rather than have them play us. Now, the other hotspot is uh, North Korea, which uh, obviously the, the smallest of the three adversaries that I mentioned, but perhaps the most unpredictable. I mean, they keep firing these missiles. They have nuclear weapons. They claim to have hypersonic missiles and so forth. Uh, what is it that they want? And the kind of the corollary to that, we really can't do anything about North Korea without the help from China. So it's all very complicated, but uh, your thoughts on North Korea? Well, North Korea, I think we have to, we, we have to come to a final conclusion that um, they're going to be a nuclear power. There's just no way we're going to get that genie back in the bottle. They've developed a nuclear weapon. They've tested it. They probably manufactured some, some, some numbers I've seen as many as 10, 20 or 30 of them. Um, and, and, and now they're, they're almost or just about at the position where they can actually place them on a rocket that can, that can a missile that can go uh, very long distances. We have to we have to understand that that we <laughs> there was a there was a time perhaps when we might have been able to put that genie back in the bottle, but we, we can no longer. So what do we have to do? We have to find a way of persuading um, North Korea that um, they're not in danger um, from us. Uh, the Chinese also have to suggest to them that they're not in danger from us. Um, and, and that, um, you know, if, that if they do in fact use these nuclear weapons that they've accumulated in any fashion or sell them to anybody else, some terrorist group or even Iran, for instance, that um, uh, rather uh, Saudi Arabia, some other Middle Eastern country, look, that, that they then, that we then have the ability to turn their entire country into a radioactive glass bowl. And if they don't understand that, then they need to be made to understand that. And perhaps the Chinese are the only ones who can really make them understand that. North Korea is, is a very dangerous situation and, unless we play it correctly. And I don't think we have been up until now. Again, we've ignored them. We're taking the eyes off the ball and, and we're focusing on Russia. Russia is not a major threat to us. I'm moving on to, I want to come back to China in just a minute, but uh, let's focus briefly on Iran, perhaps the most complicated uh, of all in that the uh, the P5 plus one agreement, that's the agreement that Obama and John Kerry and uh, Wendy Sherman and so forth, everyone helped uh, negotiate uh, way back 2015, I think. Uh, Russia and China are part of that. And so to deal with uh, Iran, are we going to have to ask Russia and China for help 
in getting Iran to cooperate again while we're involved with perhaps trying to prevent Russia from invading Ukraine and China from not going into Taiwan. It's, it's the most complex chess game imaginable. I mean, how do we deal with uh, Iran when we need the help of uh, adversaries that we're also trying to uh, contain elsewhere? It's very complicated. Oh, it is. I called it a three-dimensional chess game in a commentary I did the other day for CNN. Um, uh, look, uh, there's there's no question that Russia, Russia and China, by the way, are part of the the uh, it's called the P five plus one, the permanent members of the Security Council plus Germany, um, in the talks with um, uh, with Iran. Russia and China has been sitting have been sitting at that table, but they have a series of of issues of their own that are very interesting and and potentially difficult. China, for instance, has become, become one of the largest um, 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 customers for Iranian natural gas and oil. And, and that's not something that they want to give up very, very quickly, very easily. Um, Russia, at the same time, has um, they have their own priorities. They, they're worried about uh, an Iranian uh, nuclear arm because Iranian missiles, in theory, are, are within striking distance of, um, of the Russian heartland. So each one of them has their own concerns, their own worries, their own fears and their own profit motives as well. So we have to be able to understand all of these issues and how they play together, how they interlock. And it is a three-dimensional chess game. And so far, we haven't even been playing a one-dimensional game there, which is very scary. And in the middle of all this, you've got uh, Joe Biden, 79-year-old president, uh, trying to juggle all of these balls. You don't sound too impressed. What is he doing wrong in your view? And what does he need to do? Well, what he's doing wrong right now, I think, is relitigating Afghanistan and, and some of the other issues. Um, I remember he was also involved in the um, uh, when, when, when Obama was president, he was involved in the original negotiations for the uh, Iran nuclear deal. And he was also involved, by the way, in, when um, when Russia invaded Crimea. And, and a lot of people were saying that uh, we were just never tough enough on the Russians and they did, we just let them roll into Crimea and, and take control of that part of um, what, uh, the nation of Ukraine. Um, uh, basically unchallenged. So I think he's, he's smarting from that. He says, I don't want to be seen as a patsy anymore. I don't want to be seen as a, a failed president who can't stand up to and, and come away as a victor in, in, in critical international issues. And, and yet this is exactly what's, what's happening right now. My thanks to David Endelman. By the way, in addition to being a CNN and NBC columnist, he also has a Substack column. Check that out. Now let's hear about another Evergreen podcast that I know you'll enjoy. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. Time now to open up the West Wing Report's archives and see what made history this week in the past. 1961, you can't make this stuff up. Nearly three years 
Before Lee Harvey Oswald assassinated President Kennedy, his mother visited Washington and asked to see JFK. Marguerite Oswald wanted help finding her son Lee, the ex-Marine marksman who had defected to the Soviet Union. Marguerite Oswald never got to see President Kennedy, of course, nor did she get to see Navy Secretary John Connolly, both JFK and Connolly would be shot by her son in 1963. An unbelievable story. And who can forget this from 1998? But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false. Well, that wasn't true. Bill Clinton telling a whopper. It turns out he did have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. He couldn't even say her first name. It was Monica. That lie was the beginning of what would turn into his impeachment by the House, but acquittal by the Senate. Want more history? Check out my books on Amazon. I'll sign them for you, too. Just shoot me an email, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. And need a speaker for your event? I do that, too. Current events, economics, analysis, history. I connect the dots, and I'd love to hear from you. Speaking of books, by the way, I'll send you one if you download my new app. It's called West Wing Reports, available in the Apple and Android stores. Just download it on your phone or tablet. There's a button called What's on Your Mind. All you do is push, talk, and send. That's it. So what's on your mind? Questions, comments, let me know. Leave a comment and your name goes into a drawing for any of my books, your choice. I like to end each week with a quote, something you might find thoughtful. This week it's from William McKinley, our 25th president. He said, quote, the free man cannot be long an ignorant man. Think about it. Well, that's all for this week. My email again, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. West Wing Reports is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Thanks to C-SPAN and Yahoo for the audio clips. Our sound designer, engineer, and producer, Noah Fouts. Executive producers, Michael DeAloya and Gerardo Orlando. I'm Paul Brandis in Washington. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.